You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review's senior editor, Daniel Horowitz. And along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back here to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz. It is Monday evening, February 6th. And man, hot air, half-truths. I'm telling you, you don't even have half-truths anymore. It's only Monday, and I'm already full of full uh, lies for this week. Oh, gosh. Wow. If we're going to have judges destroy this country, can they do it during the weekday? So I could actually have a weekend with my family. You know, this is the second week in a row where the judges were destroying our sovereignty. And, you know, unfortunately for my family, I had to work all Sunday, Saturday night and everything. And I am tired as anything. But we're going to we're going to take you all through this. Um, You know, as you know, I wrote my book, Stolen Sovereignty, about out of control immigration and out of control courts. And then most importantly, the convergence of both of those two issues, the courts getting involved in immigration, the final frontier in judicial tyranny. I, I still have to pinch myself to believe that you know we're wake that I woke up today in a country where a judge could create an affirmative right to immigrate, could create first Fourteenth Amendment rights for anyone in the world to immigrate in violation of our most settled area of law, our national sovereignty. It, it basically nullifies the social compact of government, the uh, sovereignty of a nation, jurisdictional sovereignty, the preamble of the declaration, governance by the consent of government. We're going to get into all this and how this all ties into what's going on, where we're headed. Um, but for now, I want you guys to know my promise to you is to always tell the truth, is to always tell you how I feel whether some of you disagree or agree with me, but I'm always going to remain consistent on every issue. It's not a matter of being pro-Trump, anti-Trump. It's a matter of trying to get the best we can on any given issue for our side, our cause, and really, because ultimately we believe our cause and our side is what's good for all Americans. It's good for our country. And that's why I need you guys to support our sponsors so we can keep the lights on here. Boy, I am so tired. I need a vacation. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I can't get away now when the courts are destroying America and everyone tells me they need my voice here. But eventually, I do want to take a vacation. I am looking to attend the Freedom Fest, July 19th to 22nd at the Paris Resort in Vegas. Register today, $100 off the regular rate. Um, What's the Freedom Fest? It's a trade show for liberty-minded people. Um, you got, you know, think tanks, nonprofits, Steve Forbes is going to be there. Some of our very own Deneen Borelli, Dan Bongino, John Stossel. And, um, like I said, some of them probably more libertarian than I am, but this is mainly going to be about economic issues where we all agree and just trade some ideas and enjoy ourselves. So again, register today for your hundred dollars off. Use promo code CRTV100. For your registration discount, go to freedomfest.com to register, get more details, or call 855-850-3733. 
And yes, that is how we keep the lights on here. That is how I have never been sucked in to support something I, I've never believed. Um, as you guys know, I've probably written thousands of articles over the past decade or so. Um, lots of radio hits and podcasts and videos. I feel fortunate enough to, to be someone that could say this, that I have never written something or said something I didn't believe in. Again, you know, everyone's wrong on something, and I'm sure there's stuff that some of you might have disagreed with me at some point, but at least you know I actually believe in it. <laughs> and, you know, th that's that's something that's unique in this business. So, you know, anyway, what's going on here? We have out-of-control immigration plus lawless courts equals the death of a republic. You know, last night we had that amazing Super Bowl. New, New England Patriots overcame a 25-point deficit you know, they came back to win the Super Bowl in spectacular fashion. Well, unfortunately, the American Patriots, all of us, we're down by a lot more than 25 points here. We've been complacent for many, many years and have allowed the other side to run up the score. And the forces of tyranny, particularly judicial tyranny, are winning. Time's running out for our republic. You know, when I wrote my book about judicial tyranny and how to take back power from the courts, the need to take back power from the courts, I focus primarily on two issues, marriage and immigration. And the reason I focused on those issues is because those issues reflect the foundation of a society, of a civilization. Marriage is the building block of all humanity, all civilization. And sovereignty, immigration, you know, laws regarding immigration cut to the foundation of a nation state. So just like the Obergefell decision was probably, in, as I note in Chapter 3 of Stolen Sovereignty, the worst decision over the past century. Some, some of you might you know, rank Roe v. Wade up there, but I'm talking about not just in terms of the moral outcome, but in terms of the violence that it's done to our, our Constitution, our society. Uh, the notion that a court could redefine the most fixed laws of nature, um, marriage, sexuality, now, Saturday night and and uh, Friday night actually, uh, and 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 this you know came on the verge of a number of terrible court rulings, but the single worst ones, ju uh, Judge James Robart, Bush appointee from the Western District of Washington State, nullified our national sovereignty. We are no longer a sovereign nation with control of our own destiny. So it's not only the fact that he said you can't take away visas from people you already gave them to, which, again, like, like you guys have seen, I've written article after article um, demonstrating how it's 200 years of settled law. When I say settled law, you know me, I'm not into case law, you know, just from the Supreme Court, um, you know, but that is, it's the Constitution. It's implicit in, you know, Congress's plenary power over immigration naturalization national sovereignty, a president's right to conduct foreign commerce and Congress as well, um, and foreign affairs and, and times of war, you know, war power acts. We have, to be clear, a nation can exclude anyone, any group of people for any reason. It could be discriminatory. Absolutely. We've done that throughout our history. We could say we're not letting in people with green eyes or red hair. We could say we're not letting in people from a specific country. And yes, we can ban Muslims. 
we can ban Jews, we can ban Christians, we can we can do that. Now, again, to be clear, you can't ban a religion, the practice of a religion from your shores in terms of religious liberty, but you can bar um, categories of immigration. Immigration is not a right. Nobody or no group of people have any um, claim to our sovereignty. That is up to the people to decide, and the people as expressed through their elected representatives, and any power that those elected representatives delegate to the president. Everything Trump did was pursuant to statute. So what the courts are doing now, when the courts say, oh, no, you can't do this, this is unconstitutional, they're not just saying, oh, it doesn't follow statute, because it does follow statute. They're saying it's unconstitutional. That means they're telling us even Congress cannot do this. And in fact, as I've warned you guys, Congress did this. The foundation for Trump's order is Congress. In fact, in 2002, five out of the seven countries that Trump put a temporary moratorium on, Congress put a permanent moratorium on, albeit with some sort of discretion that the presidents could waive. And Bush and Obama liberally used that discretion. Trump merely resorted back to the base law. So so a dish, a puny district judge, and I want you guys to understand, district and appellate courts, meaning non-Supreme Court, they are created by Congress. They don't have to exist. Congress could abolish the institutions tomorrow. What would happen? Well, you know, the courts would get clogged up. The you know, you'd probably need to create something else in some other form, but you could you could route it through the state courts like it was before the federal courts. And then, of course, you have the Supreme Court, meaning they could either petition to state courts or straight to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court, given their um, limited caseload, would have to decide, well, you know, prioritize what they want to take up. So a, a puny district judge, at, with the flick of a wrist, boom, nullifies national sovereignty, doesn't give a rationale for it. Just says I'm enjoying. I'm putting a temporary restraining order injunction on on Donald Trump's executive order because I believe it violates the Constitution. He doesn't cite a clause. He doesn't cite a statute. He doesn't explain how you could issue something that is prima facie in conflict with 200 years of case law. And you guys, and, and again, if there's one article on this you see from me. Make sure to see the one where I have 16, 16 examples from case law showing how this is the most settled area of law. Because, of course, it's the most settled area of law. It's national sovereignty that a country has the right to allow in or, or make any conditions on who they did allow in. Say, look, you're here at our pleasure. Until you get citizenship, um, we could throw you out any time if we don't like you here. It could be for a mean reason. It could be for a good reason. But um, this is where we are. Let me let me just give you the the best quote I have here. Um, yeah, I was just searching here for the 1977 case of um, uh, Fiala v. Bell. I forgot who authored that opinion, but anyway, it was backhandedly quote: "This court has repeatedly emphasized that over no conceivable subject is the legislative power of Congress more complete than it is over the admission of aliens." Done. I mean, that, that's just how it is. I'll read you more. The decision to admit or to exclude an alien may be lawfully placed with the president 
who may in turn delegate that, the carrying out of this function to a responsible executive officer. The action of the executive officer under such authority is final and conclusive. Whatever the rule may be concerning deportation of persons who have gained entry into the United States, it is not within the province of any court, unless expressly authorized by statute, to review the determination of the political branch of the government to exclude a given alien. How you could just issue a, a restraining order and do it nationwide, by the way, not just in his district, apply it nationwide. We have a constitutional crisis like no other. The notion that the courts are the sole and final arbiter of social, political, public policy issues, again, not just finality and judgment to a personal civil litigation or a criminal case for an individual, that that's the role of a court to interpret statutes under law. But to this notion that to, to overrule, to, to overturn law, and that's what this is. It's not just the executive order, to overturn law. Even if you believe there's a power of judicial review, as I've explained to you guys many times, judicial review does not equal judicial supremacy. They are not the sole and final arbiter of that. So, I mean, Ideally, we should just say no. The problem is it's been so imbued in our society that, oh, a court said, oh, you got to listen. Um, so I don't blame Trump for halting it. But, you know, and then, of course, the, of course, the Ninth Circuit goes and uh, upholds it or refuses to, you know, issue a, a, a stay on that injunction. I warned about this. You guys might have thought I was being a little bit crazy last year going into such an esoteric issue, but I warned you guys that even if you have a Republican president that wants to do good things, and not everything Trump wants to do is good, but this is certainly one one thing that is good, I warned you that the courts will strike down everything we want to do. The courts are nuts. They are, they're not just one or two deviations off the Constitution. They are 50, 100 deviations. They flip everything on its head. There is no shred of legitimacy to this. You know, a lot of people are saying, well, what happened when uh, Judge Hannon, you know, the Republican-oriented judge from South Texas, issued a nationwide injunction on Obama's amnesty? Now, first of all, at the time, I actually said, I don't believe in going to the courts. I believe Congress should have fought in. But the difference is, and I have a whole piece on this, the difference between Trump and um what Obama did is statute the Constitution and sovereignty. He had the authority. The laws are given over the president to ratchet down immigration, not to ratchet it up. Certainly not to create a new immigration program for people that are here against the national will and give them social security cards. I mean, that was something King George couldn't do unilaterally. Um, so, you know, and, that, and that's, by, by the way, Alexander Hamilton, when he describes the difference between a president and a king, he says... A king could make denizens of aliens. A president can. Well, now we see that courts could make denizens of aliens. So that that's the difference. And also, Judge Hannon wrote a 123-page scholarly opinion showing how Obama violated every statute in, in immigration law. So, but, you know, the point is, I don't mind if someone's saying, if, if the left says, I'm not going to listen to a Republican-oriented judge striking down our laws just because of the judge. The reason why what Obama did was wrong is because it was unconstitutional, not because the judge said it was unconstitutional, because it was unconstitutional. It was obvious. And that, that's an important distinction. The law of the land is not the Constitution as interpreted exclusively by a judge. It's the Constitution, period, as it was originally adopted. 
who who has that say? Well, all of us. All of us together have to, you know, all three branches, the states, the people, ultimately elections, you know, um, but certainly they don't have exclusive role. And, and especially when they're on the face of it, trying to inject their social justice political agenda, which is fine. You're entitled to have that, but they're injecting it into law and the constitution, our national sovereignty. So this is, this is very scary. I, I, I don't, I, I can't, words cannot describe how scary this is. This, we're talking about seven countries that are failed states or state sponsors of terror that don't have any vetting. We're talking about existing law. We're talking about, then it's worse than that. They also enjoined, this judge also enjoined the section about refugees where Trump said, we're going to prioritize persecuted religious minorities. And he said, that's discriminatory. I mean, the, Judge Robart didn't really say much of anything, but indicated that that would be the problem with it. Um, that is the entire letter and spirit of refugee laws. <laughs> it, it actually it actually requires the State Department as, as a dominant factor in choosing refugees to take ethnic or religious minorities. What this essentially does is say that uh, any any Syrian national, Somali national, not just ones we already let in here, which, like I told you, we do have the right to deport, but even ones that never came here have a right to, I guess, sue us from overseas and say, hey, a Christian was let in, so you have to let in the Muslim. This is a nightmare. We have no country left. This has got to stop. We have a judicial emergency. This is what I wrote my book about, and I called sovereignty and immigration the final frontier in judicial ty- tyranny, judicial supremacy. Um, and, and, and this is, by the way, you know, this is why I named my book Stolen Sovereignty. It's a double entendre. They're stealing the national sovereignty, the courts, the, and the courts are also stealing the individual sovereignty, the right of a nation to, self, you know, to self-determine, the right to self-governance. At some point, we got to get beyond this. My question to people is, what do courts need to do until we will say they don't have that power? No, we're not doing this. Let's say courts, you know, said, yeah, two members of each family have to get a sex change operation. Well, you get up there and say, well, well, I strongly disagree. It's the law of the land. No, Congress acting within constitutional authority and the president properly executing any delegated authority, that is the law of the land. Judges issue judgment in individual cases. How we want to apply that, that is up to us. You know, if it's something that sounds reasonable and it's rooted in the Constitution and it's a very complicated issue and it looks like the judge came to a good conclusion, you listen to it. You take it under advisory. But when it's something that is nakedly, I mean, I, I and by the way, the entire judiciary, it's funny. I have about 20 theses from my book, from my um, writings and everything about the courts. This case and, and these a number of other similar cases, what's going on with immigration in the courts proves every single one that the courts are irremediably broken, that we're never going to fix it simply by appointing better judges, that even Republican appointed judges support the worst things around, um, how you're never going to flush out the lower courts. Because part of the reason, one of the points I noted is that everything Trump does as a matter of national policy, what they're going to be able to do is shop around to any district judge there's any number of them that they could that are radical enough to go along with the most extreme things they want to do and there are a number of circuits that will uphold it 
So now this is probably headed to the Supreme Court, but, you know, what's in the Supreme Court? Think about it. We can't get a favorable circuit. So, you know, Anthony Kennedy is usually against us. Even if he's with us, that's four to four for now. And if it's four to four, it it, it uh, keeps the, you know, circuit court or district court determination, which is against us. I mean, this is the problem. You know, I, I just want to deviate on that for a minute. A lot of people were saying, look, this is a Bush appointed judge that screwed us over. Now, look, I, I'm not, I'm not going to defend Bush here. He certainly, you know, appointed a lot of bad judges, in my, in my view. But a lot of that is something Trump's going to do too in any Republican. It's not going to change. And this is what I mean. The entire system is, is screwed up and why we need what I call judicial reform. We need to strip the courts of jurisdiction over many issues, but first and foremost over immigration, at least start with the lower courts so that way the ACLU couldn't hit us in 100 different courts. They would have to get the Supreme Court to take it up. And given that the Supreme Court has limited um, limited uh, you know workload, I mean, there's only nine of them, eight of them now, um, you know, maybe we'd get a couple bad decisions, but they couldn't get us on everything. That, that's kind of my plan. Eventually, I do think we should strip the Supreme Court if they continue down this path. Um, and, and that's what it is. Foreign nationals don't have a right to sue to be here. I mean, th- th- this is so foundational. They don't have due process for that. They have due process if they're here and you want to imprison them or something and you want to punish them or fine them, but they don't have an affirmative right to remain against statute. Period. A judge could only open up a case if they believe the guy might be a citizen or there's something in statute that makes it that this guy is different. Um, But otherwise, when prima facie, it's just you're exercising national sovereignty. There is quote after quote after quote, case after case, the most settled law. But this is why the courts are irremediably broken. Because liberal judges, a district judge, they'll take 200 years of case law and throw it out the window for their purposes. But once they do it one time, Roe v. Wade, Obergefell, up. well, then our side feels bound by it. This is the problem. Stolen sovereignty. There is, there is, this is why I I am working with several members of the House to jumpstart an effort to take back what was rightfully ours as the people, the people's house particularly the House of Representatives, that's, that's the closest to the people. Um, you know, some of you listening are lawyers, some are not, and I just want to, you know, for those that don't understand the term adverse possession or squatter's rights, I just want to give an analogy here. If you haven't heard it from me before on a previous podcast, basically what's gone on here with the right of a nation to exclude on immigration, just the general notion of a court as the final arbiter, both of these issues is a classic case of adverse possession. In many states, and you know whether you believe this is just or not, I mean, this is kind of just you know the practice dating back to some aspects of common law, where you know you have a 50-acre property, and say a lot of it's kind of undeveloped, and you never really use it throughout throughout your time, and you know a guy comes in there, squats down, and starts using it, and after a number of years, you don't say anything, and you don't, I mean, you kind of let it stand. De facto, you you de facto lost possession. Squatter's rights is adverse possession. That's what's happened to the monopoly on the Constitution. Congress, for the first 150 years of the country, spent a lot of time debating the Constitution. Um, 
you know, Marbury versus Madison, as I've said many times, it was not judicial supremacy. It was judicial review that even the weaker branch also has some sort of say for their powers in looking at the Constitution. But certainly Congress and the executive branch in the states with their more robust powers certainly have the right to interpret the Constitution as they see fit. And if there's a crappy order, they'll ignore it. It wasn't until 1958 Cooper v. Aaron that that started to change in the Warren era. Not, you know, um, surprisingly, while the courts simultaneously redefine the Constitution, they redefine their role as the final arbiter, arbiter of the Constitution. So, and then simultaneously, by making everything a constitutional claim and everything's a violation of the 14th Amendment, so everything is a federal case instead of state, so everything gets to go to federal court, and... Um, everyone gets standing, and any third-party organization now has standing. So that's how the courts have become a de facto veto power um, on a any public policy or legislation that was never meant to be that way um, from Marbury versus Madison. Many, many quotes from John Marshall saying that. Um, but nonetheless, even to the extent they have grabbed that power, there is a way to get it back through Article Three, Section 2. Congress controls the jurisdiction of of, and subject matter of the courts. Congress controls administrative procedures. You know, Congress could say the Supreme Court could only meet in an in an unair conditioned room from July 1st to July 31st every year. They actually did that um, in the early 1800s. They would regulate the times that they could meet. Um, one time, the I believe in 1802, and this kind of set up Marbury versus Madison a little bit, but but um, it was more on other provisions. But one provision of the law gutted an entire session of the Supreme Court. They just gutted it. You can't sit this year. So certainly with the lower courts, they could do that. I'm going to have I'm gonna have a lot of articles on this coming up in the future, um, really delving in more in depth to the, a lot of what's in my book, but a lot of new things. Even if you read my book, there'll be a lot of new material, the historical, legal, philosophical case for Congress taking back power from the courts. Um, you know, eight, ten different methods or so to fight back simultaneously. It, this is everything. If we don't do this, nothing else matters. The progressive agenda, it, it's bad enough that we have such radical views in our body politic. But they're now being enshrined into our law and our, in, in our con constitution outside of the reach of the people. This is a, judici this is a judicial oligarchy. This is literally not a democracy or a republic. This is nothing. This is not the republic we fought for. It's going to get worse and worse, I'm telling you. Any any deportation, keep in mind a lot of the deportations are in the Southwest. That's the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. The left will shop it around there, invalidate every single deportation of every even, even a criminal alien. 20,000 or so National Immigration Lawyers Association attorneys on staff plus the ACLU, plus MALDEF, plus tons of other pro bono organizations out there. The legal profession is irremediably broken, as, as Justice Alito said. This is something that we must fight back against. So anyway, we're, we're running out of time here. <clears throat> um, I'm going to link to some of my articles why Judge Robart and some of these other people should be impeached. Even though we're never, not going to have the votes to convict in the Senate, we have the votes to actually impeach in the House. A run-of-the-mill district judge does not want their name dragged through this. It's a big deal for a district judge to go through this. We need to take some scalps. That's another thing we need to do. And I make that case. Keep in mind, impeachment is not just for 
you know, the guy robbed the bank or something. It was designed, especially for the judiciary, for, for judges, as a check on abuse of power, abuse of the Constitution. And, and, and that's what this is. We, we have ceded this ground. And I'm telling you, it's not just Judge Robart. Even the judges that didn't go as far, or even the judges that ruled with us, it was on very narrow grounds. In other words, basically, the entire legal profession has accepted the premise that you cannot, quote-unquote, discriminate in an immigration, which is unbelievable. It's just, well, yeah, this is kind of, I mean, the truth is Trump's order is, is current law, and it's so modest. It, it's literally the seven failed states that we have no way of vetting during a time of war. Keep in mind, we have war operations in, in Somalia and Yemen. We just had a soldier killed in Yemen. So, I mean, the, we have soldiers in, in Syria, Libya, um, Iraq. I mean, all these countries... Obviously not Iran, but we're practically at war with Iran. Um, I mean, th that is part of the foreign policy of a president. So aside from, you know, Congress's Article 1, Section 8 plenary power over immigration, over national sovereignty, um, and as delegated to the president in this case, but, you know, the, there's the war powers. I mean, and, and I'm not just making this up. This was said in some of the immigration case law that I cite from in, in some of my articles. So a lot going on here. Um, as always, we're pretty much the only ones that are robustly defending Trump when he does the right thing, um, going after him when he does the wrong thing, like on religious liberty and the transgender uh, uh, Obama order that he refuses to overturn, even though he uh, promised to do so. By the way, Jared and Ivanka, you should just know, are the biggest problems. <laughs> I'll get to that in a future uh, episode here. But that's the thing. We're going to take it in stride. We're going to take each issue at a time. We're going to be consistent. And you have my promise. I am going to fight for all of us. Um, I need your help. I need your input. I need you to support our sponsors. I need you to get your subscription to CRTV. That's the only way to get the proper information out um, through video means and TV. You obviously read our writings and our podcasts, but we got our CRTV here. So sign up for your subscription. Just 89 bucks, I believe, or, or 99 depending if you get that discount. Um, I got to check on that, but if it's still there, at most it's 99 a year, no commercials. You could download anything, anytime, anywhere. We got Steve Dace moving over in a couple of days to CRTV. Not going to want to miss that. Man, lots going on here. So much more to say, but hopefully this suffices for now. Um, I know a lot of you, and I really i am honored that a lot of you are waiting to see You know what I was going to say on this. Um, so tweet me at RM Conservative. send emails through the conservative review, uh, email. I'll, I almost always see it, even if I don't get a chance to respond. Thank you for, for listening. Thank you for going to conservative review, signing up for CRTV. God bless y'all. This has been another episode of the conservative conscience. Conservative conscience.